You know, I always say that poetry is where I go when I think, where do I put all this? You know what I do? I write a poem. We carry a lot. We carry a lot. And so to be able to lay it down in the writing of a poem, to be able to see that others feel these deep things in the reading of a poem, that reminds us that we are all part of a human experience. Poetry is one of the oldest forms of communication in human history. But is it still relevant today in our multimedia digital age? What values and skills do kids learn by exploring poetry? Can poetry be a force for good in society? And how does poetry contribute to students' development as a whole? And how should we fit it into reading education? This is what I want to know. And today I'm joined by U.S. Poet Laureate Ada Lamone to find out. Ada Lamone is the author of six books of poetry and the first Latina to be named Poet Laureate of the United States. Her books and poems have won multiple awards, including the National Book Critics Circle Award for Poetry. Ada has hosted the celebrated poetry podcast, The Slowdown, and recently released her sixth book of poems, The Hurting Kind. Today, she joins me to talk about inspiring a love of poetry in students and getting them excited about reading. Ada, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's such a pleasure to be here. I've done so much reading about you, and I've read um, some of your poems. Uh, but the first thing I want to do is is talk about your journey. Um, you grew up in Northern California. You now are in Lexington, Kentucky. Now, many would say that those two jurisdictions in and of themselves, that's a journey to get from Sonoma in Northern California to get to Lexington. But talk a little bit about your path, because before, be, before becoming a professional writer or a poet, uh, you were in marketing. Uh, you did the corporate thing. Talk a little bit about that path. Yeah, I'd be happy to. Um, yeah, I was born and raised in Sonoma, California. And then I went to um, college at the University of Washington in Seattle. And then from there, I went to um, NYU, New York University in New York City. And uh, that's where I got my graduate degree in poetry. And Um, At the time, I remember graduating thinking I had this incredible experience. I learned so much about poetry and poetry writing. And then I thought, oh, and also, how do I make a living and a life out of this degree? And um, from there, I went to work at magazines. You know, New York City has many different um, incredible magazines uh, that run out of Condé Nast and um, Fairchild, etc., Hearst. And so um, I began working first for GQ magazine, and then I worked for Brides magazine, and then Martha Stewart. And um, then back to GQ, I was the copy director for GQ magazine. And then the last job I had in the middle of um, Times Square was uh, I was the creative services director of Travel and Leisure magazine. And, um, you know, the interesting thing was all of these jobs really focused on language 
and the power of language and what it was to um, use it as a tool to further and advance um, the brand itself. At one point, um, we were doing a national campaign. It's 2008. And um, there were, um, you know, there was a moment where, of course, the economy was really struggling and a lot of people weren't traveling. So I came up with um, my partner, Jill Cepedo, who was the um, art director, um, the, uh, the, the, to have this campaign called Please Go Away. And we felt like it was very sort of New York. It had this kind of attitude to it. I remember getting home from California and getting off the plane in New York City and almost all the cabs that pulled up outside the airport to pick people up all were taxi tops that I had written. <laughs> Yeah, that, that that's pretty cool. Now, also, you you said that uh, you faced that sort of classic challenge that a lot of college graduates and folks who finish their post secondary education face, where I know what I love, but I got to pay the rent. And I take it you've always been a writer and love poems, but as you mentioned. You know, that was that was a tough sort of decision. But at some point you realized you could make a go of it. What led to that change? Yeah. So at one point it was my my third book had come out and it was uh, called Sharks in the Rivers. And I thought, you know what? It's book number three. I've always had um, a big career in New York City and made poems at the same time because you, you know, we all have to make a living and all artists have to make a living. Um, and, uh, I decided I was going to try to, to write full time. And what I did was I left the city and I have friends who have this, um, incredible space in Moon Mountain in the Mayakamas in Sonoma. And they offered me a little place to stay. My dad, um, drove down. Uh, his old car from Washington State to Sonoma so that I'd have a car. And I was really supported by family and everyone said, okay, like, well, we're going to help you do this. I hope you're enjoying this episode of What I Want to Know, one of the most downloaded K-12 education podcasts in the country. Make sure you don't miss any of these important topics. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast or social media platform. And leave a rating and review so we can bring you more of the topics you want to hear about. Now back to the conversation. So Ada, when and how did you discover your love of poetry? It's a great question. I think um, on different days, I could answer that in different ways. Uh, but it was really... Um, I always loved poems. I also always loved songs. When I was younger, I would write songs to um, my Labrador, Dusty, and uh, and 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 walk around with her. Uh, and um, and then it wasn't until I was fifteen that um, I read a poem actually on a test in my high school English class. Um, Mrs. Lale was the name of the teacher, and uh, it was the poem "One Art" by Elizabeth Bishop. And I remember immediately falling in love with the form, the sounds, the rhythm. And I was really curious about how it was made. And um, after I finished the test um, and we turned everything in, I went up to her desk and I asked Mrs. Lale if um, after she had graded them, if I could or at least have a copy of the blank test, because um, I really wanted to keep a copy of the poem. Oh, wow. 
That's awesome. You know, you talk about um, songwriting. I've heard many people equate songwriters with poetry. Uh, do you find that to be a, a natural equation? Yeah. I mean, I think that it's it makes a more natural conflation to think about um poetry and songs versus poetry and perhaps prose or novels or nonfiction, because I think there's an element of mystery and an element of unknowing, you know? Um, And I think that's, that to me is really important when we, when we think about poetry. I also think that, you know, sometimes with songs, we don't necessarily love a song because we understand every element to it. Right. Mm. We don't think, oh, I understand exactly what this song is saying. Sometimes we just love it. And that aspect is also true of poetry. Sometimes you it's not that you completely comprehend everything that the poet was intending, but rather there is a feeling and emotion that washes over you and a sense of wholeness that comes or a sense of excitement or curiosity or maybe it hurts a little bit, but it reveals something. And that can be enough. And I think that sometimes with other forms of literature, we're always looking for sense. We're always looking for, um, you know, trying to figure it out, to solve it. And poetry, like songs, they don't have a solution. They just have a way of being. And uh, I think that's where they're the most similar. I've always admired the creative spirit in people, um, and I must admit, I'm somewhat envious of that creative spirit uh, because when I read poems, I do a lot of reading uh, and, and I am struck by the chords of emotion that can be struck. But what is the thing or what are the things that help inspire you uh, to go in a certain direction? Yeah, that's a great question. I... I will admit that I'm inspired by a lot of different things. I find um, I'm very curious about the world. I'm very interested in Mm. it. Um, And so I love the strangeness of things, the things that, you know, might not completely make sense or you might have questions about. I'm very curious about those things. Um, And so sometimes it's just an image of the natural world. I want to explore more, but sometimes it's my relationship to the world. And um, that sort of strange and bizarre uh, way that human beings, uh, you know, exist in the world, like we are strange creatures. And the mind is a very um, chaotic and beautiful place to be. But it's worth a, a deep exploration. Yeah, you know, I absolutely love that. And when you talk about curiosity, Uh, My work has been in education in the K through 12 space for many, many years. And I often say that the most important thing that we can do uh, for our children in their learning journey in the schools or classrooms that they uh, inhabit is to make sure we don't snuff out that sense of wonder and curiosity. Because I think uh, far too often, that's what happens. When you lose that sense of curiosity, the world is a vastly different place. And I, I'm i proud to say that I am so infinitely curious. That's one of the reasons why, you know, I wanted to start this show. I learn something with every single subject matter or guest we have. And even talking with you now, that's why I asked you about the creative process. 
you know, the world has so vast and has so many things that we can embrace and learn from. Uh, it's, it's very interesting and actually telling that that is one of your motivations as you write a piece. You know, I want to ask you more about being the U.S. Poet Laureate and, uh, and our education system, but uh, I'd be honored if you would read a poem for us. Oh, I would be absolutely happy to. This is a poem um, that I wrote. I often write outdoors. Um, I love, uh, it's, I, I just said that and it's, it just started snowing. So I'm not going to write outdoors today. <laughs> um, but I do, um, when the weather is nice, um, I do have um, a screened in porch on the back of our house that overlooks the bird feeder and um, my little garden, which of course is, is, is dead in the winter right now or not dead. It's just, you know, repairing and rethinking its growth for next season. Um, but this is a, a, a poem that I wrote um, sort of just watching the backyard and having a moment where I kind of thought nothing, nothing was going on. And then I just started to observe. So this mm -hmm. is where this poem came from. The Visitor. A neighborhood tuxedo cats walking the fence line. And the dogs are going bonkers in the early morning. The louder they bark, the more their vexation grows, the less the cat seems to care. She's behind my raised beds now, no doubt looking for the family of field mice I've been leaving be because why not? The cat's dressed up for the occasion of trespass, formal attire for the canine taunting, but the whole clamor is making me uneasy. This might be what growing older is. My problem. I see all the angles of what could go wrong, so I never know what side to be on. Save the mice? Shoo the cat? Quiet the dogs? Let the cat have at it? Let the dogs have at it? Instead, I do what I do best. Nothing. I watch the cat leap into the drainage ditch, do wet fur against the daylilies, and disappear. The dogs go quiet again, and the mice are safe in their caves. And I'm here, waiting for something to happen to me. Mm. It's so beautiful. Um, just hearing you read The Visitor, the word that comes to mind and I think it's true for most poets uh, are the layers that exist. And I, but I think that that, like, that's what I'm always interested in is that all responses are valid. Yeah. All responses yeah. are what's supposed to happen. And I think that sometimes when, um, when we first learn poetry or we're first invited to read it um, by some great teachers, Sometimes we, we get really nervous. Um, poetry, I find, um, I feel like sometimes can make people anxious. Yeah. And, um, you know, because they think I'm not, I'm not going to understand it or I don't, I don't know what happened or I don't know what to say about it, you know. And I think that sometimes it's just okay to just let it wash over you, to just yeah. experience it. Let your mind wander. Let your, if you start thinking, oh, there's a neighborhood cat in my in my backyard that does that, or, oh, the mice there, or, oh, you know, and then, you know, you get to that last line. And of course the last line is, 
I'm waiting for something to happen to me. And the poem's sort of crux of the poem is, it's happening. This is life. This observation is life happening. And, um, you know, when you land there, it's really just telling you to breathe and be in the moment. Yeah, it's a beautiful thing. So let's talk about your official United, your official role for the United States. You are the poet laureate. Uh, and for many people, the obvious question may be, what is a poet laureate? And I know you've answered that several times, but talk a little bit about that process and, and what it means. Uh, it is a deep honor and one of the most coveted roles that one could have. So I congratulate you on that. But talk about that whole uh, notion of being a U.S. Poet Laureate. Yes, um, I love that you asked about it because I think um, I think even for poets, it's a little bit of a mystery. Um, but it, you know, I'm the 24th Poet Laureate of the United States, and it's a position that um, is uh, it's it's made possible through an act of Congress, and I um, was named the 24th Poet Laureate by the Librarian of Congress named Dr. Carla Hayden. And she invited me um, to this position in back in July. And it was an incredible honor. And uh, the position itself is really meant to promote and encourage the reading of poetry. And that's really all it is. You know, it's mm-hmm. your job is really to be um, the voice for uh, the support of poetry, for the widening audience of poetry. And, uh, you know, it's interesting because there's really not much more I believe in. <laughs> you know, I love, I really believe in not just poetry's um, importance, but its power, like what it can do, how it can move you. And um, to be someone that uh, gets the opportunity to speak about poetry and its power and its importance is is really uh, an exceptional an exceptional opportunity for me. Right now, we're at an inflection point in terms of education, particularly post COVID. Uh, we're we're on the path toward personalized learning, but a lot of our kids have social and emotional challenges. There's a lot of tension in, you know, this world, you know, people say it comes from politics, but the politics reflect a lot of what's going on in the tension in our communities. Um, But I believe in the power of reading and developing critical thinkers who aren't being led, but can actually look at a situation, look at circumstances, uh, make sure that they understand and, and appreciate their own sense of humanity. Um, and I wanted to ask you about how poetry relates to education at a time when many school districts are cutting back on arts and education. Some say even that, you know, how does poetry fit in this new multimedia digital age? So I just want to get your thoughts generally on this relationship between the pure form, the pure creative form of poetry and engendering a sense of, of excitement for our, among our children about the learning process. Uh, I think for me, one of the biggest things that I think about with poetry is that you don't necessarily need a lot of time to, um, 
to explore a curriculum of poetry. You can read one poem a day. You can read one poem a week and it will, it will instruct you in some way. Um, and what I do think is really important that we foster right now is not just, um, a sense of, you know, what we need in terms of our intellect and our testing and all of these things that I know are very important, but I think it's really important to foster the imagination. And I think it's also important to foster, uh, that sense of deep looking at the world and getting a little bit sometimes outside of the self, sometimes writing a poem that just begins in description. What is it to look outside the window and spend just five minutes describing what you see? Your life can change in that moment because you will suddenly realize that you are part of something larger, right? There's a tree outside. And then I think, right, that maple tree has been here for a hundred years. You know, I haven't been here for a hundred years. That tree knows way more than me already. Already, if just I'm looking out at this description, I'm just thinking about this, I'm suddenly in relationship with the world. And I think as we talk about the pandemic and what, what everyone has gone through and is going through, I think there's a level of deep isolation that has happened. And also uh, a moment where people have felt maybe more lonely than they ever have more isolated, more um, unable to relate to the world, or maybe have a fearful relationship with the world. And I think poetry can be a window back into it. You know, I always say that Poetry is where I go when I think, where do I put all this? You know what I do? I write a poem. We carry a lot. We carry a lot. And so to be able to lay it down in the writing of a poem, to be able to see that others feel these deep things in the reading of a poem, that reminds us that we are all part of a human experience. And that we are not going through this world as one singular being um, where everything's happening to just you, you know? And I think there's a lot of people that feel that way. And I, I think poetry can help us reclaim that sense of not just our humanity, but our sense of community. So to actually all be experiencing something together the same breath work, the same tonality, the same sort of uh, energy shift that poems allow for. I mean, that can be a really impactful experience for not just students, but for faculty as well. We, we, we talk about how poetry can actually help engender uh, and facilitate um, reading. But what I really want to know is for those educators who may be listening uh, what can they do differently to foster a love or an appreciation of poetry? I believe that poetry is very human. It's elemental. It, um, for me, is just as essential as any of the other arts. And I think that the biggest thing that an educator can do is to admit that they may not know what the poem is completely trying to do to feel okay with saying, hey, 
I'm not sure. I might, I, I might not know everything about this poem, but I like it. And let, I'm going to read it. Let's just experiencing it. You know, we don't need, you don't listen to a song and go, oh, if I don't get every single thing this person is saying, I'm never going to listen to music again. Right? Instead, you go, ooh, I like that. And I would also encourage that if there's a poem and people don't, maybe the, the students don't love it, or maybe the uh, teacher is kind of like, meh, it's okay. Then read another poem, right? Poems exist one poem at a time. The currency of poetry is one poem at a time. And so I would just offer that it just begins with one poem and it's just like one breath, you know, and, and, and it doesn't need to have an answer. It doesn't need to be figured out. It just needs to exist. Oh, Ada Lamone, thank you so much for joining us on What I Want to Know. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to What I Want to Know. Be sure to follow and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app so you can explore other episodes and dive into our discussions on the future of education and write a review of the show. I also encourage you to join the conversation and let me know what you want to know using hashtag WIWTK on social media. That's hashtag WIWTK. For more information on Stride and online education, visit stridelearning.com. I'm your host, Kevin P. Chavis. Thank you for joining What I Want to Know.